On this week's episode, we do a little walkthrough start to finish from shooting and editing in terms of workflow. We also delve into the fascinating, I promise you it is fascinating, world of data storage. Tom has a lot to say on the matter. So sit down, grab a notepad and enjoy. How are you? How are you doing today, Tom? Are you, you all good? Oh, mate, I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit tired, but I have had the world's strongest coffee, an eight-shot Nespresso. So I'm, I'm feeling... That's basically the equivalent of an adrenaline shot to the heart. I'm feeling pretty good, actually, turns out. I'm, I'm doing all right. So uh, I'm, I'm a bit worried you're going to have a crash halfway through the podcast. Well, if I start crying, just we'll, we'll have to pause it and, and, and come back to it. <laughs> How's everything with you? Uh, yes, not bad, not bad. Um, I have finally put my trousers back on. I was actually not wearing any trousers in our pre-record. <laughs> <laughs> well, just as well our cameras are wasting up because I did not notice. So, <laughs> yeah, I basically got absolutely pissed on on the way into the studio today, cycling in. So, um, by someone I've or swan is swanning? No, by the rain. Oh, the swanning around the, the studio in a sarong. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Just the casual studio sarong. We all have them. Yeah. Well, it's it's, <laughs> it's there for this very reason because it does happen quite a lot when I cycle in and get absolutely pissed upon, and, and the- then have to put my trousers on the radiator. <laughs> And the people who share your studio with, you know. problem is I forget that I'm in it and then the doorbell will go to the studio or something and I'll kind of walk out there and be like, what? <laughs> what are you looking at? The delivery driver's going, uh, okay. <laughs> Strange man. Strange yeah. man. So, so you've, you're not pissed on anymore? You're all good? No, I, I, I'm wearing toasty warm trousers that are freshly off the radiator. Excellent. Excellent. I once did that, and my the metal work, so the bu- the buttons and the zip got so hot on the radiator that I accidentally burnt my hands because it turns out I put them on a gas radiator. Burn something else there. Yeah, it was. Well, yeah, can you imagine? Well, my pork and beans now roasted, that, that perfectly scored. Yeah, branded <laughs> with Levi's. Yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good. Backwards. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, thank you everyone for for tuning in. Today we are going to be doing a little chat about productivity and workflows and stuff like that. We've had a lot of messages uh, basically wanting us to talk about the business side of things. So we're going to, I think, use these G&T episodes to talk about things like that. Is that right? Yeah, kind of our, our approaches really to, because we've both got quite different approaches to the way that we work and our workflow. Mm. And um, so they're going to be slightly rambling, but hopefully not too rambling chats where we discuss various elements. And this week we wanted to talk about um, not only workflow, but also kind of systems that we have in place that uh, help with productivity. Um, things like uh, what kind of hard drive systems we use and how we import. Uh, data and what have you which sounds very dry but I promise you it won't be we will make it entertaining um, i promise <laughs> i'll do i'll do my best anyway <laughs> yeah that's an exposed negative guarantee um <laughs> worthless um okay so let's well let's get into it i mean um what is when you're let's talk through like a typical shoot you're coming in you're you've you've done the shoot you've you've uh you've called a wrap and you're back in your office and you are what's your process for importing an edport uh, importing and edporting importing editing and exporting <laughs> well that's a look, new term we could use edporting as a mix of editing all right yeah. yeah let's coin that right guys today on the exposed negative you're going to learn all about edporting <laughs> tm yeah <laughs> sounds like a guy i went to school with 
Do you know what importing's <laughs> up to now? God, he's in finance. Probably. Terry, yeah, probably. Um, um, well, so look, I think you've jumped the gun a bit. So I would actually, okay. my workflow starts way back. So my, my workflow actually starts shooting. Uh, obviously, everyone's does. But like my, my data wrangling, if you will, starts way back as I start shooting, right? So okay. So I shoot with. I, I'm just. I'm just going to just use all the names so people can actually search for all this stuff in case you don't. Rather than me just kind of go, I use something like this. I'm just going to tell you mm -hmm. ex exactly what I use because it's going to be way easier for people to find the stuff. Uh, and then we'll put links to almost everything. There's going to be quite a lot of stuff, but you know we'll put some links in the show notes. Um, so I'm now a Sony user after after having a bit of a hiccup and deciding to sell all my Leica stuff but we'll get to that at some other point. Um, my uh, my workflow is Sony camera, tethered via a tether tools uh, cable. I actually use um, a pigtail uh, cable, which is a short 30 centimeter USB-C right angled uh, cable, um, which uh, then runs into one of the four- Is that made by, is that made by tether tools? Yeah, 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 it is, yeah. All, all, all the cables I use are tether tools. Okay. So um, the um, either that or StarTech. I use I use short um, USB-C Thunderbolt cables for my data wrangling. The the stuff mm -hmm. that's not camera to laptop, but all the camera to laptop stuff that's all uh, tether tools. So I have that, and I I run it through a little anchor uh, thing that I've made, um, and then because I use the the pigtail, what happens then is just off the camera there is a USB connection. Um, so when I stand on the cable, we all do it. It happens all the time, mm -hmm. or when the client stands on it, or whether it gets caught or something. You know, it it's surprisingly common. Um, and I pull the camera away. There is no jerk. There is no. Where's it gone? Um, okay, so it almost acts like a jerk stopper. Yeah, it just it just disconnects. So it basically takes any any tension that would build up on the cable. It just completely gets rid of it because it's it basically just breaks breaks apart. And then there's there's no there's no strain on the camera. There's no strain on the laptop. There's no strain on the cable. It just it just effectively falls apart. And the, and because the tether tool cables have got quite a good connection, mm -hmm. it holds until there's pressure on it. So it okay. it doesn't really come disconnected or anything like that. I I have used I have tried to use their kind of screw on coupler things, uh, but yeah. I but I don't I just find that it's less hassle just to just to have them connected. Um, I've tended to run mine through a base plate that sits on the camera that that um, acts as a jerk stopper. So which one? But which one do you use? Do you use the tether tools one? I don't because it was quite expensive when I looked at it, and I found a, a kind of third party one which basically did exactly the same thing. It just needed um, the the channels padding out a little bit, which right. I did with some tape. Yeah, this <laughs> so is I this hacked, is the thing. There's I hacked another plate basically. I think yeah, but uh, is that the one with the thumbs? compatible plate so i can use perfect. it perfect perfect yeah it's um you know th there's always ways around it my mine mine is my tether lock is is not quite as simple as yours i wish it was uh but because i use an l l bracket on my cameras um mm. i have a arca swiss mount on the on the left hand side of the camera right so i found that arca you can you can buy these they're, I don't know quite what they're for, but they're really thin and small Arca Swiss stop bars or something. So I found them okay. on AliExpress for eight 
eight dollars each and i ordered a couple <laughs> and then i had to take a drill <laughs> had to take a drill and a sander to them to make them fit um but they mm-hmm. have just they have just a quarter inch on the um they have two quarter inches so i just run a zip tie uh through, okay. through them and it just basically locks the locks the cable into it um well be good actually maybe we'll do on our instagram we could perhaps do some little behind the scenes shots of some of this kit at some point we'll put them mm-hmm. up either on the f- main feed or we might collate them into our stories mm-hmm. um yeah because uh, i realized i haven't walked you through my tether station yet which we've both you've definitely got a history of making fam- fabulous homemade tether stations have, have i um, <laughs> um yeah anybody wants to see that you could uh, is it still up on Petapixel, I can't remember how many years. Yeah, I mean, I know it's your old. That's an, that's an old, very old. Yeah, very. Yeah, that must have been 2014, 15. Like, yeah, old, but, old it, but it definitely set off a lot of people to kind of be like inspired to build their own. Yeah, um, I hope so. And I know that you use Trek Pack uh, interiors in yours, don't you? I did. I did. So, so yeah. my my thing now is mobility. So, yeah, I, you know, huh, used to travel a lot. We'll do. We'll do at some point in the future again. Um, so all of my stuff, I need to be able to carry along a beach in the middle of Indonesia or yeah. carry up a mountain somewhere. You know, I I want all of my stuff to be as lightweight as possible. So mm. um, I now my my digi stuff is in a is in a uh, backpack, but not a camera yeah. backpack. I found um, I I quite like finding stuff from other companies that that can be repurposed and works quite well to um to kind of fit in my workflow and there's a company called 511 tactical who i found when i was in i think i was in texas on a job for yeah, Shell. They're, quite a, they're quite a military surplus kind of company <laughs> yeah, aren't they? They, are. they they just make stuff for people who play professional airsoft and who are professional law enforcement slash military <laughs> and yeah. um but you know it, there's their stuff's pretty pretty nice it's nicely built and it's covered in molly straps. So yeah. as far as kind of expanding it or buying pouches for certain things, it's kind of ideal. Um, but mm. I, I found uh, a bag that has three, two main compartments, one of which fits the digi plate. I, I use the innovative digi plate alongside all my tether tools stuff. Um, and it, it basically, I have a router mounted to it. I have a card reader. I have a, a, a car, a, a little memory card slot thing that i i um i bought small rig do a power bank clip which auto expands when you put some pressure on it um and i use sugru to pad it out so it fits my little g technology ssd um for, mm. for those of you who don't know what sugru is it's awesome it is it's amazing yeah so it's it's little do you want to tell people what it is well i i've, I've used it to fix cameras i've used it to fix all sorts of things it's basically like a form of silly putty which once you've exposed it to to the air it comes in sealed packets um it sets hard after about 20 minutes it's waterproof um and it basically you can mold it into any shape you want it comes in different colors um for a long time i had a uh, a grip on my wacom stylus pen that i'd made from sugru yep because they make it to any shape you want um I fixed an old Mamiya 7 that I had with Sugru because it had a big hole in the bottom and I just put the Sugru in, filled the, and it, filled the crack and it, and it sealed and it's watertight. Yeah, yeah, this is it, right? Um, so it's it's curable rubber. Stuff. So you say it goes hard after 20 minutes, but then it's fully cured after 24 hours and then it is rock solid. It is like it was built onto the camera. So mm. I um, 
I I use it all the time. It's there's mm. there's most of my kit has some sort of Sugru on it because it makes it you know you can put it in the hand grip to really fit your fingers uh, on the mm. on the camera grip and stuff like that. And it, you know it decimates the secondhand value of your equipment. But let's face it, professional use will do that as well. So it's yeah. you know I don't really care that much about it. But um, yeah, it's. I think the saying goes that there's three things now. It used to be gaff tape and zip ties could fix anything, but now for me it's gaff tape, zip ties, and Sugru. And not just zip ties. I'm a big fan of Velcro zip ties. Velcro I have some ties. of those in my kit. They're amazing because they're reusable. Yeah. So for cable ties, for all sorts of for hanging backdrops with through kind of eyelets on tarpaulins mm-hmm. or you know backgrounds that you might have, I've I've I have like um a whole raft of them. Uh, there's a video I did actually on my YouTube, which is it like walks you through my kit bag, and it's a very good video. You'll to be see fair. in there how much you'll see in there how much I hark on about Velcro zip ties. <laughs> you do like you do like them a lot. Do you know what? Do you know what I like? I Velcro zip ties for me are fine, but I love um, I've what I found to be a slightly more useful uh, thing for me. I I was never quite as enterprising with you as with Velcro zip ties. Um, for me, I found bongo ties to be kind of indispensable if you, you use those <laughs> no the bongo ties are a little piece of bamboo with natural rubber in a loop and they you know oh, okay. you can do do up cables um yeah. you can uh you know fashion them to uh, suspend tarps you can mm-hmm. hang stuff off them you know they're super super useful uh and i don't know who does them in the uk i always pick mine up whenever i'm in new york i go to bnh because they have all the colors and I have the, mm-hmm. I think it's Onyx. I think my my bongo ties are all the Onyx ones, and they look rad because they're black bamboo with black rubber. And they look they look I sick. <laughs> they're very on brand. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I I use those all the time, and I, I use them on my on my Digi stuff as well because it's um, it's an interesting to go back to the tethering thing. So my tether setup i probably when i'm traveling for work i'm pro i I will very rarely be tethering unless it's commercial job Mm -hmm. because of the nature and the way i shoot but um i my tether kit that i met that is basically made has been designed around my particular computer and what have you um i'll try maybe we can put some pictures up of that on on insta because i ended up making my own trek pack Mm -hmm. again because of getting hold of Trek back in the UK and kind of the, it's quite expensive for what it is. It's great stuff, but it's quite expensive. And you can actually um, create a very similar system quite easily with a little bit of spray mount um, and particular materials. But we put some pictures up of it because I was able to then color code it to my, all of my kits in a certain, got certain kind of colored cable ties mm-hmm. and colored tape. D marks what's mine on set so i was able to then bring that across into my tether station as well um, but what's gr- brilliant about making the trip back system as you know is you can then build it around what you have so i know that my hyperjuice will sit perfectly above all of the cabling that it requires yep. um contained underneath it mm-hmm. i can fit my um both speaker in there or i can fit my kind of little uh samsung t5 solid state and you can uh, you can make proper use of the vertical space. I think that I think yeah. that's where it really comes into its own because you can have the Bose speaker on its end rather than if you've got deep than, enough. Yeah, 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 sure. Obviously, if you've got the depth. Um, but for for me, I I use Trekpack in in all my Peli cases. I I, mm. I swear by it. Um, I just think you know if you're going to have a Peli case, it's very easy to have everything loose in there and knocking about. But it's 
a hard to find things um yeah but b also i just love everything having a space like yeah i, I kind of go right i need to go and get that speaker i know exactly where it is um yeah and it's i can just well it's just it, the nature of a shoot is you want at the end of it it's chaotic mm-hmm. sometimes you might be packing up in a hurry yeah um, things get moved around, lost, and if you've got a place for them to live, then you you know that the next time. It also means that when you're preparing for a job, you can very quickly look at your kit and see if anything's missing, if anything needs changing, yep. if anything needs charging, because you have those systems in place. Well, likewise, at the, um, at the end of the shoot, if there's a hole, you, what what yep. went in that hole? Where is it? So you know yeah, exactly. you don't ever leave, leave a location without, yeah, with without a something. super clamp still gripped to the ceiling yeah, or something. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So you're tethering in you. So the difference here, for example, with, um, to just very quickly when I'm shooting abroad, for example, um, depending on the job, but I used to shoot quite a lot of NGO work. Um, not so much at the moment Mm. because of the traveling aspect, but, um, a lot of that work and a lot of the travel shoots I do, there's a lot of captioning that's required. Mm -hmm. So I would use out in the field, I'd use a program called Photo Mechanic, which is very fast at ingesting, very fast at sorting and going through images Mm -hmm. and has a great system where you can set up shortcuts. So when you're doing NGO work, quite often you need to be getting as much information about the subjects in the photos so that you are aware whether or not people have been properly released for the images to be used, but also to give the image context because it's utterly useless to a charity unless they've got a full story behind it that they can. So you need to be having like a caption that might be a hundred words long. Now, of course, if you're shooting a week somewhere, you're going to end up spending a huge amount of time captioning. And one of the great things with Photo Mechanic is you can set up shortcut, shortcut script so that if you've got a name, for example, that you're using a lot, you could just put, you know, to go back to our Ed was it Ed Port that we came up? Say so you had an Ed Port that you need to keep referencing. You could just uh, abbreviate that to EP every time you type in EP. It will then fill out his full name and age if you attach that, etc. Mm-hmm. So it makes um, working in the field a lot quicker. And then once back in the studio, I would um, a few years ago I would have then bought everything across to Lightroom, but I've since moved everything across to Capture One. So now it'll be bringing everything into Capture One. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those uh, captions are baked into the metadata at that point, and the star rating that you can put on in Photo Mechanic obviously also transfers across. Oh, that's good. Um, so can you use does... can you use color tags? You can, yes. Okay. Um, the only thing that I've had a few issues with with Photo Mechanic is occasionally the importing has intelligent importing. If you do some kind of renaming, you can end up with some situations where it will duplicate images, right? Which is incredibly annoying. You don't obviously lose any images, so it's better to duplicate than to lose. But a few occasions I've had it where you end up with three versions of the same shot, and you go, "Why is my hard drive getting very full?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not seamless. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously, the thing with all of these computer programs is none of them do the job perfectly. They all have different, you know, in the same way that Lightroom has its its good points, but it also has a lot of bad points. And Capture has its good points and seems to be getting better and better, mm-hmm. but also has a few bad points. Um, but you would probably very rarely tether with Lightroom if you've got the option to tether with Capture just because of the speed. Sure. So for me, Photo Mechanic is about the speed in the field, speed that it will go through mm-hmm. with previews and being able to edit on mass captioning. Yeah. So so for me, I don't use Photo Mechanic. I just use Capture One straight away. Go straight, go straight into it. And if I don't shoot tethered, 
everything goes straight into capture anyway so mm-hmm. um, i kind of i kind of bypass that uh that because i because i don't need to do the the, yeah, the same I mean, level of is, captioning and and things like so that this is quite rare you know there's only for certain jobs that i will be doing sure. using film mechanic it's very specific for those jobs and most jobs i will do what you do and go straight into capture mm-hmm. i do wish that capture could develop their metadata side of things because it's not as user-friendly as it could be in terms of mass captioning or mass kind of input of data but then maybe that's um something that's not often required by i'm i so i'm i'm finding i'm getting used to it a bit more there's there's kind of quirks around it and things like that but i'm I'm getting used to the copy and paste and syncing all the all the data Mm. and things like that Uh, but to, to be honest for for my stuff it's it's i shoot less images I think so. For, so yeah. for me, I think it's it's much less of a uh, an issue. I just kind of copy and paste over everything over one shoot because that's yeah. tends to be tends to be how it is. And obviously, for my commercial stuff, they don't need to bother. You know, they no. they're, they're, there's just they don't need that level of information. No, but for long term use, it is always really, and I'm I'm sure you do this anyway. But for long term use, it's always really good to be able to have your work properly keyworded. Mm-hmm. Just because you know, down the line, if you are when you've got ten years of archive, <laughs> it's nice to be able to throw in a keyword and find a shoot, yeah, identify a shoot based on keywords. And again, that's something that obviously capture does provide, um, but it's maybe not as fluid as it could be. No, I don't think I don't think it is. Plus, also, I don't think it's possible for because all of my work is in sessions, so I don't think it's possible externally to search for keywords through 30,000 sessions. No, you'd need to create a catalog, which is where Lightroom used to be quite good because the way I used to traditionally work with Lightroom is I'd have an entire year as a catalog mm-hmm. and each year I'd have a new catalog. So every job in that year would be in that annual catalog and it would just about handle, um, you know, because obviously catalogs have an optimum size that they can be before they start losing performance. Yeah. And that's the difference between working with Capture One and sessions is the sense that you are working job, each job has its session. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way I work. Yeah, same. And for me, moving across to that was quite a jump because before it had been a lot easier to be able to go back and, and look over an entire year's worth of work and collate images, mm-hmm. quickly pull out images for pitches or you know for pitching documents if you need to drop in a book lots of different images from lots of different shoots it's yep. fantastic to be able to work with the catalog in that way no sure absolutely I've, I've, the way the way i have it all set up now is the the other couple a couple of weeks ago i actually changed my entire data back end which i'm sure we'll talk, we'll talk about hard drive storage and stuff like that but now everything is organized by years which makes it mm. way easier um to to wrangle and back up the data because actually i'm, I'm backing up a year at a time it's it's considerably less data before i had it all on one drive and i had this crazy huge nas drive that i was dragging around and actually it was you know a lot of data but for yeah. me with the sessions i actually have a new session for every day of a shoot so if it's a five-day shoot i have five sessions and they're completely right. separate from one another because obviously you can i think you used to i don't know if this is this was the case but i always used to struggle to get multiple sessions open at once um but now obviously i don't have that issue i don't know it's because my computer is now much better but i have um you know i can copy and paste session uh settings from session to session and and things like that so Mm. i I don't don't necessarily worry about keeping one job in in a small catalog or anything like that i just find that catalog uh, sessions for me far faster 
far, yeah. far happier. But what I do have in Capture One is I do have, and, it, and there's there's obviously a way of doing this. Uh, I have all my um, process recipes synced, but I copy and paste them every month between my main working machine and my laptop and stuff. So yes. I have. Yeah. I, go on. I know. I was going to say I. I I've fallen foul of that before, and now I do that. I yeah. kind of I have a G drive where it's kind of they get copied and pasted and dumped, so that I can make sure they're on my laptop. Yeah, Same. exactly, exactly. And so for for me, what I do is with my process recipes. You know, you say for example, you get a, a brief in, and they go, "Have you got a picture of X that you should probably put into that spot?" I go, uh, "I do have a picture of X." Uh, so I I find it in my in my backup. I open the session. I go, oh, there's the picture. I quickly, if it's if it's if it doesn't need to be big, I'll quickly whack a grade on it. If it's not already been edited, and then I go into my process recipes, and I have, say for example, I have fifteen hundred pixels to the desktop set as one of them, or I have a social media folder on my shared cloud service, so I can export to that and then be able to pop things straight up on social media. Or I have, uh, I basically have recipes for everything I'd need. So I have a very specific recipe for the website. So if I need to add an image to the website, I process everything out. I don't export a high-res JPEG and then bring it into Photoshop and then resize mm-hmm. it in Photoshop. I have, I found that it saves you a lot of time to spend the time and create these recipes in capture and then just well, that's a good, good use of the time at the moment when when a lot of yeah. people are a bit quieter with work as well to be because kind of- it will save you when things do get busy again it will save you a surprising amount of time um so i have mm. i have and also it's clever because you can do you know you can do watermarked proofs or you could do proofs based on a certain you know use a specified search criteria so you find everything that you've been rated as three stars with a orange color tag you know if you have that set up for a certain thing and then you have it export that with the folder name as the recipe the search recipe so mm. you can do it in loads of different clever ways so i have a proofs folder and then all my proofs come out in there so i have a proof of every shot shot from the the shoot and then i have a proof of my selects and then i have a proof of the client selects uh, and then i have proofs of plates extensions stuff like that um and then they then come into uh contact page pro have you ever used that no i haven't what do you use to create contact sheets um well i actually very rarely do right. create contact sheets um i sometimes i'll just use adobe bridge mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people do. It. I don't think I don't think people know that Contact Page Pro is made by a company called Badia Software, and I've been I've been using it for a few years. And you know you can create a nice looking template. You drop your images in, boom, you can export a PDF. And then the PDF is quite large, so I use something called PDF Squeezer, and you you have to spend a bit of time getting PDF Squeezer set up. But it's a Mac. It's a Mac thing that's available in the App Store. You drag okay. your PDF onto that and specify the the criteria, and it will knock seventy percent off the PDF size. Well, you got me onto JPEG Mini, um, which it does a similar thing for JPEGs, doesn't it? it reduces the size of JPEGs. It's it's, it's and, visually lossless. Yeah. So I was able to. Sorry, a bit of a tangent, but I store all my kind of final um, images and all my low res that go to clients on a service called photo shelter mm-hmm. and um, that's how my web- website is run 
through that, but it makes delivering images to clients super easy. But I, I'd kind of was getting huge amounts of storage because it's effectively my cloud um, server mm -hmm. in a way. And it, it was just being swallowed up by all of these images. And then you put me onto JPEG Mini and I started going through dumping huge folders of JPEGs into JPEG Mini and it would spit them out, having kind of reduced them in size by about 60 to 70% at some times. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I had all this freed up space. So that's a, but it's, that was a good challenge. The important thing there is it is visually lossless. Download, download mm. the trial, see what you think. For me, everything, and the cool thing about JPEG Mini is it's a cool bit of software, right? Very clever. You're like You cannot, mm. it, is, it is impossible to perceive the difference in quality between the full size file and one that, I, you know, I've done it. I've gone in pixel deep. I cannot see a difference. You know, mm. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm sure if you were, you know, zoomed into thousand percent or whatnot, you could probably see it. But like for me, it's it's visually lossless, and it is integrated with Capture One, so you can use it. They have they have when you buy it, the pro version, it comes with a plugin that you can use in your process recipes. So I export. Say for example, things go to the website. They're already optimized via JPEG Mini for my website because that's included in the process recipe, and the same mm. my social media things like that. Yeah. It, it, so for people who aren't, I mean, most people, I guess, listening will be familiar with process recipes in Capture One, but effectively they're like Photoshop actions. You can kind of create a, a, a simple accent for exporting your image into various formats, whether mm -hmm. it be a TIFF, whether it be JPEG, whether it be PSD. And so, in terms of what we're talking about today with productivity. The, they're fantastic for just creating that kind of speed with shortcuts effectively yeah and and there's there's an unlimited obviously you want to keep it down so you know where they are but like you can create i don't know all, all sorts if you have a very specific file format that a retoucher needs you can specify all that and you can choose how much metadata is included you can change kind of whether they're going to be watermarked they're they're, they're, mm. they're very very flexible and for me it's one of the best features of capture one you know i i really mm. i really I, I spend a lot of time going through and finessing them because they yeah. because they do really save you a lot of time. Well, one of the fantastic things is at the end of a job you can you can spit out all of them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So you're not yeah. just you're not just you're saying right these ten images I want them all as low res JPEGs. I want high res JPEGs as well because mm -hmm. and then I need full tiffs. Yep. You know, sixteen bit tiffs, whatever. You just select and you can just get them going at the same time yeah. and then it will start processing it in the background. Exactly. You just select the multiple recipes and boom, away you go. You know, it's 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 a great way of doing it. So let's jump back a little bit. Sorry, to yeah, we are jumping all over the shop. Your, your, <laughs> yeah. File naming. Like talk about your when you're importing your images, what's your kind of file naming convention? Because you said you're now doing it all by year. Well, the file naming convention hasn't changed. The file the storage convention's changed, but the file naming convention has been the same since year two of my career. I've I've mm -hmm. never changed that. I have a I have a six digit code um at the in so yeah, it goes uh client name underscore job name underscore mm -hmm. and, and these are all abbreviated you know so mm -hmm. um it goes sorry it goes client name underscore agency name if there's an agency involved underscore client name underscore six digit date code so say for example mm -hmm. is the 27th of july today so it'd be 270720 underscore yep. a four digit number that denotes the number of the image so, so I always do mine the other way around. So I'll do year, month, day, underscore. 
for and i have done again like you not for the file names but for all my folders because right. i store folders annually and again will back up a year mm-hmm. at a time uh off-site backup but the i've always kind of gone in with year month day because of the way it will automatically then chronologically put them in the right order so i have that in my folder system that's that's how mm-hmm. my folders are organized so yes when you yeah. when you then uh, search the um you have them listed and you have them organized by date created then everything is in the perfect order using that system but when yeah. it comes into the files i have um you know the i have the um shoot shoot name agency name underscore date because the date at that point is less important than who the job's for if that makes sense yes yeah yeah, yeah. the the two important things for me of that job are who is it for and the number of the image and when you look at the file name truncated in column view in mac finder it shows you the beginning of the file name and the end of the file name but Mm. i already know the date because i'm in a i'm in a i'm in the dated folder so that's, uh-huh, that's, yes. why I, that's why I do it like that. Very clever. I like that. Um, and then... I, I, so, I'd like to say I did that on purpose. That is just simply... <laughs> when I when it, discovered it one day and went... 13 oh, years ago, well. when I created this system, I, I just thought it looked pretty. <laughs> I, genuinely, yeah. I genuinely thought it just looked okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, it, and before that, I was doing mad things. Like I was putting my, I was putting my full name and my mobile number in the, in the file name. I went, and also, what's really funny is in the early days of my career, I hadn't quite figured out how to set the clock on the camera, so it looks like all of my images for the first year of my career, first year of my career, were taken in 1970. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, glad I spent yeah, some time. I, I mean, setting setting the clock on your camera is is. I mean, people who do video would, you know, would be doing this anyway. But generally, photographers can be a little bit more lax with mm-hmm. it, but. If you can sync, if, especially if you're shooting two cameras, and again, when I'm shooting um, certain jobs with two cameras, it's a bit more reportage. Having the cameras synced is really helpful because if you then need to, uh, you can then file name them based on uh, hour and minute and second mm-hmm. potentially. Do you, so that, do you, when you use a particular bit of software for that? Because I, I use, uh, oh shit, what's it called? Uh, file Renamer very imaginative i don't know where they came up with it uh it's called a better finder renamer that's what i use to to because you can specify better finder rename a, a, a better finder rename 10 they really need to work on that it's it's, ca- really it's, it's catchy isn't it at least it, you know it does say what it it does say what it does <laughs> that's what it does on the tin but, yeah but with it you can specify um there's there's loads of different uh criteria that you can specify so you can sort first by creation date then by you know also all sorts of stuff so i i if i am not tethering and i've done a shoot without tethering i'll run it through that yes and then that'll organize everything by the date created Mm, okay i'll have to look into that um i'm taking it you probably use then uh, once you've got your images in there and you're wanting to back up uh, you probably use Chronosync. I think. I think it seems to be industry standard. We all should use Chronosync. I think it's one of the best bits of software ever invented. Uh, Econ Technologies, if you're listening, pay me. <laughs> no, it's um, it, it is it's just simply uh, it, it seems incredibly robust as far mm-hmm. as, as a data data bit of software. It, for me, I've I've been using it twelve years and I've never had a single issue with it. 
and so what I do when I am shooting, if I'm tethering, I will shoot an image. It'll take a couple of seconds to come through to the laptop, and then I have uh, a chronosync action running in the background to run every minute. So what it will then do is it will do a sync, and because it's running on FS SSD with something called Smart Scan, uh, it only changes the affected files. So if you then add an image, it's automatically then going to back up to the same folder you've specified on the Chronosync backup location, so the SSD. So within, and also I shoot, now I shoot with the Sonys. I don't know, Canon used to have this feature, uh, Leica did in the SL, but then for some reason killed it in the SL2, which was one of my reasons for getting rid. And Sony have this feature, as do Fuji, I think. I think I remember them having it. But you would shoot an image. It would also save it to the memory card, transfer it to the computer. And then in mm -hmm. my system, within 30 seconds of taking an image, I'd have three copies of the data. So I'd well, have one yeah. on the camera, I'd have one on the laptop, and then via Chronosync, I'd then have one on the SSD. And it, it means well, at the end of the shot, for example, I don't need to go, guys, got to back up now. It's already done. I just disconnect the drive, yeah. put it in my pocket, and then the, the camera goes back in the bag and the laptop goes with the assistant. So then there's three yeah. copies of the data spread across three different sources. So I would have to be mugged, my assistant would have to be mugged, and my kit would have to be nicked all in one all in one go. So oh, you could arrange that. <laughs> you know the size of me. I'll give it a good shot, mate, I'll tell you. <laughs> I probably gave the assistant. Yeah, that's uh, it. But um <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, so, it's quite a good. It's quite a good way. I, I I'm a firm believer in the three, two, one rule, which we'll get to when we talk yeah. about the office side of the data things. But three copies of the data with on two separate locations uh, is is a is a really good way of doing it. I think we'd we'd love to. Um, it might be interesting actually at some point to get a. We've been talking about this, and we're getting a digital tech onto the podcast. Yes, uh, Digitech to talk through their process. So if people are interested and they found this particular section, and they want to know more, then let us know because if it's something that you'd like to, if you'd like to hear from someone who does this, and that's kind of their pure focus. Um, I'm sure they would have a lot more to add to this. Yeah, we do actually have someone lined up who's agreed to come on. So uh, we just need to find time to record it. <laughs> yeah. but So therefore, if anyone actually has any questions they'd like put to a Digitech, kind of stuff that they'd like us to discuss. Yeah, get them in. Um, it would be great. Great to send them in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So then is there anything else on that you want to talk about? Or, no. And the, and the reason, uh, so, oh, sorry, that, that was a 40-minute, that was a 40 minute detour from the original point so going back to your going back to your original question 40 minutes ago um that that was that was my point that was where my workflow starts and so then what happens at the end of the shoot is i disconnect my hard drive and go to the office that mm -hmm. and that's and that's i don't need to sit i don't need to back up i don't need to do anything like that i have the session i have the capture one session on my ssd which lives in my pocket. I have it on me now. It it comes with me all times because I have the previous six months of jobs on me at any given point on an encrypted SSD drive. I use the, the G Technology 2 terabyte little thing. It's tiny and it slots in my pocket and it's rapid. It's got a five-year guarantee or three-year guarantee. It's it's a crazy warranty. Uh, it's bulletproof. I, for the full disclosure, I don't think it's actually bulletproof. It's just a term of phrase. Um, and it's um, 
yeah, it's just a great bit of kit. Um, Sandisk do uh, one. They've just brought out a new one, which got a, you know a gig gig a second read write, which looks like a really cool bit of kit as well. Um, and the prices of these things has really come down. But um, mm. for for me, I I always carry, and I encrypt all my drives. This is this is this is also another part. I'm not going to teach you. I'm not going to talk about how you encrypt your drives. But it's very easy to find out. It's built into the Mac OS. Um, and say for example, someone steals the hard drive, and you go, "Shit, someone's nicked my hard drive." They can't do anything with it. It's encrypted at a, a file structure level. If they plug it in, it'll just go, password, please. And mm. they're not going to be able to guess it. My passwords, even I don't know my passwords. <laughs> it's, it's, it, sounds, it sounds insane. I use a muscle memory technique to do my passwords. So I will write down a bizarre 12, 13, 14, 18-digit code, and then I will learn it, memorize it. Are they not just Tom is great, Tom is great, Tom is great? Uh, yes, Tom is great, 43 exclamation point <laughs> um but yeah so so for me data security and safety if i'm doing a commercial job and the hard drive yeah. goes missing and someone picks it up and it may be a sensitive thing or something like that and then the images find their way online i'd be mm. in real trouble you know if, if someone you know someone broke into the office and into your office not your office but the listener's office and mm. stole your hard drive do you want them being able to access everything on the drive just by plugging it into a computer? No, probably not. You want it. You want it to be private. There's, there's probably nothing dodgy on it, but just from like a just a protecting your clients' images, protecting your archive. You know, you don't want people just to be able to connect it to any computer and and turn it on. So I'd I'd, I'd find it quite amusing to watch somebody try and struggle out the door with my seventy two terabyte lacy. <laughs> I mean, they are, they, are, they are quite heavy, but if they come prepared with a sack barrow, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's for for me, data security is is a, it's a it's a big part of my workflow, and I take it really really seriously. And I, it always surprises me how little people do take it seriously. You know, pe- yeah. people don't yeah. people don't it, it's, people don't tend to be flippant with it. I just people don't tend to think about it. And yeah, I, don't take it into consideration. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're if you're doing, especially if you're doing kind of high value commercial work, you absolutely may need to make sure it's as secure as it as it possibly can be. You know, it's mm. um, you know, I think it's I think it's very important because also, you know, without being funny, read the contracts you're signing. Like, yeah, it, you know, there will be probably part of the contract that is, you know, you know, if things happen, you're liable. You know, and if you lose yeah. the data, sure. it's on you. So don't lo- don't lo- make sure you have the correct insurance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and don't lose the data, whatever you do. So, yeah. so for me, having in- encrypted drives, because you know, you know, people people misplace hard drives and stuff all the time. It just it just happens. Uh, and I, I'll yeah. encrypt my client drives. Uh, I'll encrypt my client drives. Sorry, and the, the the client will have the password sent to them over email. So it mm. also stops people who should be looking looking. Yeah. You know, so um, you know that that for me is a, a very important bit, and that's built into the Mac OS. There, there are probably ways of doing it on Windows. I just have never used them, so I can't recommend any. Um, but, go, but going back to um, the actual workflow, because sorry, I, I digressed again. Um, you, um, so you, uh, the way I do it is when I get back into the office, I have one one. So I use the three two one rule. 
So I have three copies mm -hmm. of my data, two on site, one off site. That's the that's the three, mm -hmm. two, one rule. And that means the the chances of failure or total loss are considerably, considerably reduced. You know, you if you have one copy on your data on an, a hard drive in the office and that fails, the data's gone. But if you have a backup of that hard drive in your office, if the one hard drive fails, you've still got the other hard drive so it's not a problem and then if you have three copies and both copies in the office get nicked burned down in a fire you've still got another copy off-site so you see what i yeah. mean there's there's kind of like there's very few scenarios where all th all three hard drives can either break fail or get nicked mm. um and and do hard drive swaps with people you know without being funny like we all photographers should have an off-site backup we all know about it like if you've got a mate who lives down the road just do a hard drive swap do it every week or two you know and literally just be like there's your off-site oh thanks mate there's your off-site bosh yeah. peace of, peace of mind we all have to store them somewhere you know mine mine yeah. are in in secret locations which makes me sound like super kind of man of mystery but it's not it's not that exciting. They're buried in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've got the coordinates, so everything's fine. Um, but yeah, do you um, go on? What's your current system? You've, you've. I know that you've set up a new NAS system. Right? I do have a new NAS system, which I won't talk about brand name and stuff for security reasons. But it is a. Um, it's it's a really interesting system. So so my my main working drive is one of uh, the 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 big drives again. So I have I have a, a seventy two terabyte main drop main working drive, uh, and I have it set to RAID five. Now, quick before we start talking about RAIDs, I'm not going to go into RAID detail because RAID's important, okay? And and talking about RAID could very well be three episodes on its own. And don't worry, it won't be. We're we're not going to do that. But if you, you, really yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't it just? Oh, I think we should talk about parity and redundancy. Um, we're not going to do that. Don't worry about it. But um, you should look into RAID. RAID is basically a, an array of disks that are set up in a way that if one or two fail, the unit can continue to operate. So if you quick quick thing here, and and this is this is a fact. Hard drives are getting better, but it's not if a hard drive will fail, it's when a hard drive will fail. They are incredibly complex bits of kit. They will fail at some point in time. Don't muck about. You can't have, you know, if you're if you're operating a 15-year-old iMac and you have never changed the hard drive, get the hard drive chained as a matter of urgency. You know, or you'll lose everything. Hard drives fail. That is simply a, a fact. You know, Backblaze every year, for example, release their hard drive system facts. And they use petabytes. Uh, I don't know what the one is above that, but they use petabytes of data and they show how many hard drives have failed in a year and they do percentages and they and then you can kind of see which which are the better hard drives. And it's it's if you like hard drives, it's fascinating reading. But hard drives fail. That is, you know, don't don't be cocky about it. Don't go, oh yeah, I've got my offsite on a on a five-year-old hard drive. There are very few hard drives with a five-year warranty. Get them changed. And also, they, are they a great cost in the grand scheme of things? Say, for example, you have everything on a 10 terabyte offsite drive. That's 250, 300 quid. Just just update it every three couple of years. Uh, all my hard drives well, get changed out after three years as like a as a as a standard. If you use because um my so i run raid 5 and then have offsite backups um which i store kind of 
at home in the home office. Mm-hmm. Um, not the home office is <laughs> on Whitehall. Uh, my home, home office. Um, yeah, Boris, Boris looks after them. <laughs> yeah, give them to, to Bozo. Um, no, so we so so I use that, but uh, I've lost my train of thought now. I've just got this vision of Boris Johnson in my hard drives. Weird. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, oh God, I've totally lost my train of thought. What you were saying, you, were saying you had RAID 5s and then you have offsites. Yeah, um, but there was a point to it. Well, I, th- I think quickly, while you remember that, I will just quickly jump in and say, if you have a RAID, RAID system, do not think yeah. of it as a backup. RAID, RAID is, and this is a, this is a common misconception yeah. that a lot of yeah. people have, RAID is not a backup. RAID is a safety provision. That's super important to understand. RAID, if, if the RAID goes down, you still it's still one copy of your data. Yes, it's spread yeah. across multiple disks, and yes, you then have the redundancy. You have the fa- you know the failure provision. If a hard drive goes down, if you're using a RAID five array, you can lose one drive. If you're use, using using RAID yeah. six, you can lose two drives. Um, yeah, but well, I've actually had it with my old Promise Pegasus system where I lost two drives. Um, you know, within the space of a couple of days mm. because of where it used to sit uh, and because it was an older archive that wasn't accessing regularly, it'd be very mm. easy for you to get your little red light and not notice it and then yep. not do anything about it. And a couple of days later, another little red light pops up. Mm-hmm. If you, as soon as you lose two of your drives on a RAID system, then you've lost your data. So, Well, if you're using RAID 6, you can still lose those two drives and it still be working. Yeah. But you need to. But RAID five is probably the most common that people yeah, tend RAID, to use. RAID five is very RAID five comes pre-configured on most of the large hard drives. It's because you you the chances of you losing two hard drives in in that space of time is really unfortunate. Like I, when you told me about it, I was like, that's that's terrible luck. That doesn't tend to happen. Mm. But what what you should do is if you do have a hard drive failure in your RAID array, you stop everything, you get a hard drive ordered as quickly as you can and you get that re- you get that RAID rebuilding. And I always have a couple of spare I use the um was it Seawolf uh Oh, Sea Seagate Ironwolf. That's yeah, I use, I use those as, I use those as well. I use the I use the pro <laughs> versions cuz they come with a 5-year warranty. Yeah, and I have a couple of those as like just empty, ready to go as backups mm-hmm. in case yeah. you need to swap something out. Um, Sorry, I know we did say so we weren't. What do you use so to go? <laughs> Whoops. To, to go back, do you use a uh, a dock system for your offsite drives? Because my yes. problem with offsite drives is I've not traditionally used it. I started using a particular type of hard drive, and then every year I've tried to buy a new hard drive that's the same in the same enclosure in the same size in order that i've got some kind oh, of okay. uh, system i see what you mean so and actually, it would be a lot better to just get the hard drive and then plug yeah, it in so that's basically. that's what i do so you're you're talking about trying to buy the same external usb drive whereas yes. i bypass that and i have a usb enclosure that has a it's by startech and it's just a it's just a you know it's just a three and a half inch drive you open the door slot a drive in close the door and it yeah. pops up on your computer and then i have actually have them on my desk at the moment i have these uh hard cases called yotta master and they're just they're just these plastic protection boxes that have got um yeah. they've got a nice foam neoprene lining so the drive's nice and protected and then i have a selection of those in a in a peli case uh that is then on the secret off-site location 
Um, and it also, I also have a spare working year. So I know we've jumped the gun and gone straight to offsites, but quickly while I'm here, I might as well talk about it because I know you and I, we do it in a similar way, but it's kind of different. So you use the mm -hmm. external drives, uh, which means you probably have to carry a power adapter and a USB cable with the drive. Yeah, well, I keep keep one at home, keep one in the studio. Right. So yeah. yeah. So with with mine, it's it's a bit it's a bit more lightweight because it's just the hard drive. So I can yeah. I can plug it in wherever I have a three and a half inch hard drive reader, um, and so I I connect it in, and then I have I have two, say for example, I have two twenty twenty drives. So I have one in the office. And I have one in the offsite, and this is separate from my on-site um, stuff. I have just just a spare drive, so when I need to do my offsite backup, I do the backup using Chronosync. I have I have probably thirty different Chronosync documents that I use to do all my backing up, um, and then I quickly pop in the twenty twenty drive. I blitz a um, a quick backup, and then I take the updated drive to my location where my offsites are. I swap it out for the other 2020 drive and i bring that 2020 drive back with me so it saves me a trip to go to my offsite so i only need to do it once rather than take the drive update it and then take it back i just swap the drives mm -hmm. over and it saves me a journey yeah yeah that's quite almost like a relay system yeah exactly I do, if you ever found anywhere i mean this is one thing that always kind of annoys me with the amount of data that we create um God. you know thank god we're not having to um store negatives you know my negatives i can store in in boxes that i must you know well, i don't know what percentage of my work would have been shot on film but it's probably very very minimal mm -hmm. um compared to the amount of data i create digitally now yeah. um so but you still end up with all these hard drives so after a few years you swap out have you ever found anywhere good that you can actually recycle hard drives because i hate the idea that they just end up an electronic landfill because well we've both you know i've worked on those uh, rubbish dumps in sierra leone and you've just shot a big project on on rubbish dumps across in, indonesia, indonesia yeah, no, absolutely once you see that mountain of waste and especially e-waste it makes you think i don't really want to be adding to this yeah do you know what Maybe yeah i i actually do a um i do a, a because all my drives are encrypted and I use a mm. I use a certain way of doing it. I actually then do a military grade format on the hard drives, and then I sell them. So right. uh, because okay. they they are actually still in very good condition because they're only three mm -hmm. years old. Um, but for yeah. me, when they're out of warranty, I might as well just replace them. So yeah. And, yeah. and they go off, and they probably live for a few more years in someone else's machine. They probably go into a raid array somewhere else, and they're very happy for a few years. But for me, it's all yeah. about mitigating risk. So there might be some less risk averse people uh, who, sorry, more risk averse, no, less risk averse, <laughs> who who are very happy to buy a secondhand hard drive and and go off and and do it like that. But I I use the yeah. same um, uh, the format that the US uh, military use. So it's it's I feel very confident having having kind of done that that my uh, my drives are going to go off and get recycled. Um, yeah. With my off with my offsite backup it matters less because I can just, if one of those drives fails, you know, if it's in warranty, I'll obviously claim, but if it's not out of warranty, it doesn't seem much a point because they're not really getting used that much. Um, but for my, for my main working drives in the office and my main on-site backup, yeah, the drives get replaced every three years and then just formatted and formatted properly. Uh, so it's impossible to find anything on it. 
and then um and then sold okay. so that's that's how i that's how i do it because yeah you're right we've we've seen chronic waste and actually i i i now do everything in my power to to not throw things away not waste and things like that yeah so moving shall we move on from the hard drives you got anything more to add we didn't really cover on site but 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 what happens for me sorry what when i come back from a shoot i have everything on the ssd and then i bring the session over onto my main working drive which is then automatically set up with chronosync so chronosync will run different years now at different time intervals so say for example 2016 i don't access my 2016 folder very much so i have chronosync set to update that every week so mm-hmm. my computer will be running overnight and it will load 2015 2016 2017 2018 and it will run that every month for example 2019 yeah. well i might have edited some things from that that's quite a that's quite a recent thing so that'll be running every year a week and then 2020 will be running every day so I am confident that when I copy things over to my uh, my main working drive, I, I can either set the Chronosync session to go manually and I know it's going to be updated straight away, or I can just let it go overnight and I know it's it's done like that. I then have an email in the morning saying the backup's done, everything's fine. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good to keep an eye on these things because people can become a little bit complacent and have these things working in the background, but they might have stopped the service for some reason, and you might not notice. Yeah. So that's why that's why I do that. But as we said earlier, I mean, this is the perfect time to be kind of shoring up these sides of your business practice, absolutely. Because ultimately, you've, everyone's got a bit more spare time on their hands, mm-hmm. and it's a great opportunity to be making uh, making sure your systems are like the most efficient in terms of how they're running. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent um and you know it's going to get tough guys with blunt bluntly mm. and if you if you get known as a guy who lost a shoot that's not going to be good not going to be good so no. please just for the sake of the reputation of photographers take care of your data your your images are your most important thing anyway lecture lecture, lecture over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry so do, do you want to um should we talk briefly then about um productivity and kind of things that you have in place with that i mean we're in danger because this could be another separate podcast in itself i think i think bluntly we will do another podcast on it but i think just to kind of whet your appetite for that podcast uh we should we should talk about it so do you want to do you want to talk about like the the top two things that you have that kind of increase your productivity um see i my systems are quite different to yours um and if i were to think off the top of my head of what i use from a productivity point of view i i have a system with things three mm-hmm. which is like a to-do list um manager yeah let's look, let's, um, let's quickly talk about to-do lists and calendars because uh you know i'm sure there are there are a lot of people who uh, you know to-do lists can become a bit archaic, can't they? So you might end up having a yeah. system on your desk, which is sticky notes stuck to your screen, and that could be your to-do mm. list, or you might have it written down or something like that. Traditionally, I always used to have, used to like having um, to-do lists written down, and I would have them rather than on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with having a 
digital system is obviously you can then have it on you know, have it on my studio computer on my telephone and on laptop and ipad and everything yeah. it just works across all platforms and it syncs across all platforms mm-hmm. now the thing with things three is that you can use it to create multiple um projects and areas so you have your projects that sit within your areas so i could have one for uh the studio i could have one for business i could have one for um the work um side of things mm-hmm. personal side of things etc and within that i can nest um other areas sure. so now, now the, on on most to-do lists you can do a similar thing it's not quite as nice as things three because i I, no. I do i i've seen it it looks cool but you can but what you can also do is you can then set calendar dates so you can have like deadlines you can have something that you can you have your priority list which is for today and you can also use tags and hashtags which allow you to kind of then filter and 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 have vast amounts of stuff on yeah. there because my 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 issue is i quite often will have a thought and we'll add it to the to-do list mm-hmm. and so then it just sits in this kind of never-ending list so every so often i will go through and then start sorting stuff into like right that's priority that needs to be done by the end of the month and put a deadline in or it just gets moved across into the relevant folder so that if for example i've got a day where i've not got much on and i want to say right well i need to look into this i can go into that section and see all the things that are on that to-do right. list that needs still to be action do when you add a date does that then add the to-do item to your calendar um i'm sure it can do i don't think i've got that set up so the way i have mine set up is i use apple reminders which seems a bit basic right but there is an app called good task and good task is what you always wanted reminders to be. I'm fairly certain, actually, that might be their tagline. Pay me. So um, is that going to become my like thing now? It's just going to be like, pay me. Um, I hope <laughs> not. Um, so Good Task is available from the App Store. It's just a it's download. You have to pay for it. Uh, but I, I paid for it, and it is well worth the investment because it basically takes reminders from being a very basic to-do app to everything that Greg has just described you can do in good task, but and I'm sure you can do in things three when you add. So say, for example, I want to add a note to my, um, my, I need to, there's something I need to do on the website. So I need to create an email to my web guy. Uh, and uh, he loves getting emails from me, <laughs> but I will create a task and I will put hashtag web or hashtag website. Uh, I then have a smart list. I don't know. Does smart, does things three have smart lists? So on on good task, it will create a smart list on the left-hand side, which is hashtag website. And so when I click on that, it will show me all of the to-do list, uh, all of the to-do list items that are just marked as website. So I go, oh, cool. I only have one thing to email him about. I'll email him about that. Tick it off because I've done it. Um, And then for me, smart lists and things like that is, is a really great way of doing it and the way i have my calendar set up is that when i add a time sensitive task so you know uh, record podcast with greg hashtag podcast it will then create if i say uh, 10 a.m tuesday or monday whatever day the day is today um it will then add that as a calendar item in my calendar with a checklist so i can complete it from good task or complete it from my calendar app so it's nice that when I open my calendar up, I can see exactly what's time sensitive in the week. So I don't even need to go to Good Tasks to see what I need to do today because it's already in my calendar as well. 
And I'm sure Things 3 has something. Uh, it's called a global shortcut. Does, does Things 3 have this? So you know how you can bring up on Mac, if you hit uh, Command and Spacebar, it brings up your Spotlight yep. search. Uh, wherever you are in the system, it'll bring the search to the, the foreground. It's great. I have it set up. There's a global shortcut you can set up in Good Task. So I have mine as the uh, Option key to the left of the Command key, Option Spacebar. And then that will launch the global shortcut for Good Task. So I can add a task wherever I am in my operating system. So I might be in Photoshop, I might be in Capture One, but I can open up the Good Task thing and the global shortcut and then just add from wherever I am. And it's got... And you set up those global shortcuts just via your system preferences. It's, and... in, it's in the preferences for Good Task. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah for, for me, uh, it's... You know, I, I think you go, uh, where is it? Yeah, prefer there's so many preferences. It's a it's a quite a nerdy bit of software. Um Yeah, so things has a similar thing actually. Yeah. Um it's it's honestly it's it's fantastic. It's a really, really when you're used to using it, it speeds everything up a lot because you don't have to go down to the dock, you don't have to find a bit of software, you don't have to find the plus note or control N or whatnot. You can just add a to-do list from anywhere. And it's got smart entry. I don't know what they call it, but it's kind of like um I'm sure Things 3 has it. If you type in uh, Greg Podcast 10 a.m. Monday, it will type in the to-do number to-do name as Greg Podcast, and then it will set the date automatically and set the time automatically yeah. as well. And that saves you tons of time uh, yeah. going going through. And, and most of the current to-do lists, so bits of software, Things 3 is is notoriously one of the best. Uh, best. Uh, there was wonderlist which has been bought out by microsoft and turned into microsoft to do but there's a there's a few of them but i know things three is meant to be one of the best so um, yeah and it, well, you love you love your shortcuts in general oh, so man, i mean do i do i talk because you you mentioned the other day apple shortcuts which um i you know wasn't even aware was kind of on my phone yeah no one knows but you use, Hardly, you use yeah, they launched it and basically didn't tell anyone. It's like, guys, we're going to put this thing on your phone, but shh, don't don't know about it. Don't use it. <laughs> it's like when they... It's like the YouTube yeah, album. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you can get rid of this one if you don't want it. Uh, with the um, Apple shortcuts, it's effectively creating macros for your phone. So mm -hmm. if you, for example, need to send images of receipts to your accountant... And you are currently opening the camera, taking a picture, opening mail, composing a new email, attaching that image, putting in a subject line in, and then sending it. You can automate that entire process using a shortcut in Apple Shortcuts. And then what happens is you swipe right when you're on your home screen. It brings up your whatever it's called notification. Is it notification center? Uh, you know where you have all the the batteries for your phone, and you have all the shortcuts for the apps. Uh, and then you can literally cr just hit receipts. Say, for example, you've created this thing, this uh, this action in Apple Shortcuts. It will launch the camera. You take you take the picture you want to take and click choose, use photo. It will then take mm -hmm. that photograph, attach it to an email, fill in who it's going to. So all you need to do is hit send and choose the resolution of the image you want to send to your accountant or anyone. And it will automatically send it and do it. It's gone. So within on well, go on. Sorry, whilst we're on that, I mean that's basically what my I have a I use Receipt Bank. Right. And that's effectively what that does. Yeah. But um 
you pay for that as a service for a subscription and obviously this is uh it's just a quick free way of doing that yeah you know i do, I do love finding workarounds and stuff but it's quite it's quite simple receipt bank is cool it's it's a very cool bit of ocr software that will analyze your receipts and create text text readable receipts from the images um and it also fills stuff which then feel it feeds into my accounting software yeah, which is quite exactly well, I, I don't have accounting software my accountant does everything so I just I just send everything off to them and then they come back to me each month going, that's how much you've earned. And I go, oh, or yeah, during lockdown. Oh. <laughs> I think we'd love to. Um, that's another thing, actually, in the future, we might look at getting on is somebody, I mean, it sounds riveting, but actually it could be really interesting and really useful for a lot of uh, photographers is to do a episode on accounting. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So, so for the, you listeners you listeners you listeners uh who don't know i am a I, i'm a fully qualified graduate of accounting fully qualified graduate of accounting i've got an accounting degree no that's not true i've got an economics degree anyway so i but one of my one of my modules in my degree was talking about small business why small businesses fail and how small businesses can avoid failing and one of the the main reasons small businesses fail is cash flow you know if you can stay on top of your mm. accounting it will be a huge huge help and it's it's um yeah. you, you know a good accountant much as though it does seem like the driest thing there are only two things that are certain in life right death and taxes you need to pay your taxes and you will probably die at some point you know probably well, sorry i know we're heading towards the end so keep it light so you have to pay your taxes guys and don't worry <laughs> do, you're going to die <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it's, sorry, I don't know where I've gone with that, but there are two things that certain in life, death and taxes and a good accountant will save you more than they cost. Yeah. So, absolutely. so because people might go, I don't want to pay an accountant. They're expensive, but, but they will save you. You know, they claim for things that you don't even know you can claim for. So yeah, um, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're... yeah, we'll definitely try and do an episode on that. And I think, again, similar to the to, to what we said earlier, I think if anyone's kind of got any burning questions on that front, mm -hmm. then um, it would be useful to get them in so that we've got something to put put to the um, to our guests. Yeah, DM us on, on Instagram or you can drop us a, an email at info at exposednegative.com uh, with, any, with any suggestions and stuff. But I, but I think we're starting to kind of run onto like a, a bit of a long episode. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I also think because I, yeah i think we should do another i think we're gonna have to come back and do another one because we haven't even touched on stream deck and keyboard maestro you, you, right. we haven't even we haven't even talked about text expander even though i've 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 mentioned it many times in the past uh we we've got we've yeah. got lots of workarounds and lots of bits of software that save time the the thing is yeah we have very little time we current that's not true we currently have got some time but we all know we're hoping to get busy again, and we will. It will happen at some point. When we do get busy, you want to make your back office kind of organization, the productivity, all of these things, they can be either really complex and take you loads of time, or you can spend the time to make them as simple as possible, and it will save you a lot of time and hassle and stress. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are going to be there are going to be things that hopefully help. And hopefully this podcast has been interesting. I know we've rambled, rambled a bit about hard drives. It's not quite what we'd planned, but um, you know, it's it turns out there's there's a there's a huge amount of things that we can talk about um, productivity. So we're going to talk uh, in in future GNT episodes. We are going to talk about 
you know, apps that you can use to save time, apps that you can use to help plan shoots. You know, we're going to talk about editing workflow. We're going to be talking about, you know, how you pack your bags, how you pack your lighting, how you choose your lighting. How, we're going to talk about all these things because all of these things come under the productivity banner, if you will. Um, yeah. So anything you want to know about, just send it in and we'll add it to the, you know, the, the docs that we have and we will uh, yeah. we'll do our best to cover it. Excellent. Was it? Well, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. <laughs> we'll be back to normal service with a guest next week. Yes. Yes, we will. Um, and we've got some super interesting ones coming up. So um, we do. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoy and uh, yeah. Catch you then. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to know more about today's guest and read the show notes, head along to www.exposednegative.com. And you can find us on Instagram at exnegative. See you next week.